On this episode of the Field Quiver Outdoors podcast, I'll be discussing the Red Eye or Bartram's Bass Fly Fishing Workshop that I was able to attend on June 24th of this year. I'll give a walkthrough of what the workshop consisted of, my thoughts about the workshop, and how the fishing was after the classroom portion, including the gear that I used and how I did. And if you haven't already, go ahead and hit those like and subscribe icons. That way you'll know when the next episode drops. And definitely rate and share the podcast with friends if you enjoy the content and you feel that it's helping you on your journey to fill your quiver with God in the great outdoors. But that's enough previewing for this week. Let's go ahead and hit the trail. Thanks for joining me for the first episode of the Field Quiver Outdoors podcast. And as the intro went ahead and told you, this week's episode is going to be about the Bartram's Bass Fly Fishing Workshop, which I was fortunate enough to attend a few weeks ago in Mountain Rest, South Carolina. Now, the way I found out about this workshop is I was actually on the Eventbrite website looking for future fishing rodeos to take the kids to and just so happened to notice this one that was listed as a fly fishing workshop for the Bartram's Bass. Now, I'm going to read the description from the Eventbrite website for the workshop, but before I do, I just want to go ahead and mention ahead of time because there will be a few places where I'm reading from the material directly and in this material they almost always use red eye and bartrams together instead of just one or the other that's because they are specifically focused on the bartrams bass in this workshop but because it's not yet been identified as its own independent distinct species yet they use the more general classification of red eye so whenever i'm reading and i say bartrams immediately after red eye go ahead and in your mind visualize bartrams being in parentheses because that is how it is denoted in all of this material now, getting back to the description on the Eventbrite website, this is how it reads. Have you ever wondered what those bass in the Chattooga River were called? Is there another fish swimming in the upstate besides trout? Join SCDNR Aquatic Education, the Chattooga River Fly Shop, and South Carolina Native Fish Coalition for a full day of red-eye bass training. The Red-Eye Bartram's Bass Fly Fishing Course is an advanced class for experienced anglers who already have their own rods, reels, waders, boots, and fishing packs and want to learn about one of South Carolina's coolest native bass. We'll teach about what red-eye bass are, how to catch them, what flies are helpful, and fishing techniques in the morning. After the presentation, we'll try our hand at tying a few red-eye bass flies courtesy of the Chattooga River Fly Shop and SC Native Fish Coalition. In the afternoon, We'll break into groups and fish for the red-eye Bartram's bass in various locations in the upstate of South Carolina. It then goes on to provide a basic list of what you would need to bring to the workshop as far as fly gear, specifically uh, what type of 
fly rods as far as the weight that you would need and recommended waders or wading boots, whatever you, you would need personally for uh, wade fishing that afternoon. Now, going into the workshop, I was vaguely familiar with what a red eye bass was. I had found out about the existence of red eye bass through a pamphlet I got about a year ago at the Bassmaster Classic when they held it at Hartwell, and they had the expo in Greenville. The pamphlet about the Black Bass Slam through the state's DNR provided just basic info about what the challenge was, which was to catch the four main black bass species in South Carolina, which are the largemouth, smallmouth, spotted, and red eye or Bartram's bass. But being new to fishing for black bass in general, because if you listen to episode zero of Primer, you'll recall that I mentioned I'd actually never even targeted bass of any type up until about a year ago, since growing up, whenever we did go fishing, it was typically for catfish or brim. Now, being up for challenges, I decided that I wanted to go ahead and try and do the black bass slam at some point, and went ahead and put it on my outdoors bucket list to complete it at some point, preferably sooner rather than later. But Knowing absolutely nothing about the Bartram's bass, I knew I was going to have to do some research into it so that I could target it, which I did just that. I started looking up online, trying to find what I could about Bartram's bass and how to fish farm, what their range was in terms of which rivers, which areas of rivers to target them. There was some information, but it wasn't really what I would classify as beginner-friendly information. It was more for folks who had a background with fishing, specifically trout fishing and river and small stream fishing, particularly fly fishing. But once I was able to find out some of the types of fishing that you could do were basically the same methods and techniques you'd use if you were targeting brook trout, then I kind of had an idea of where I might could go and what type of equipment to use. But over the course of last year, I never got a chance to go up to the mountains and actually test out what I thought I had learned, which thanks to this class ended up being all the wrong answers and I probably would have just gotten skunked over however many hours I spent in the river but I found out about the class and like I mentioned it was in the process of trying to find future fishing rodeos to take the kids to that the DNR puts on and at first I didn't sign up for the class even though I was immediately interested in going to it Part of the reason is, one, it was a free class. Who doesn't like a free class that can help you do something that you're wanting to accomplish? For me specifically, that was to complete a black bass slam at some point in South Carolina. But 
I also just enjoyed learning and wanted to know more about the red-eye bass. But some of the other things that were mentioned in that Eventbrite description that I found particularly attractive were the inclusion to the fly tying element and most importantly the fact that half of the class was going to be spent in the river fishing. Now, I've never tied flies before. It's something that I've had an interest in learning how to do uh, over at least the last couple of years. It, that interest has been growing in me over the last couple of years. And now that I had the opportunity to try my hand at it for free, and not only just try my hand at tying a fly, but also go out in the water not long after tying a fly or two and trying to catch something with it. And that was huge for me because one of the things that's on my outdoor bucket list is to not only learn how to tie flies, but to actually catch certain species with flies that I have tied myself, which include the native to South Carolina red-eye bass and brook trout. Now, going back to signing up for the class, I didn't sign up immediately after I discovered the class. I waited a few weeks, and once I found out that it actually would be possible to attend, I went ahead and went back to the Eventbrite website and signed up. And according to the website, I was very fortunate in that there was one seat left available when I registered. Now, I don't know how accurate that is, but I, needless to say, was typing faster than I think I've ever typed before to try and get all of my information put in so that I could get that last spot in the class. Now, obviously, I was able to type fast enough that nobody could swoop in and snipe it, if you will, from me trying to register at the same time. But fast forward a few weeks to the week of the event, and it was scheduled again for June 24th is the day that the workshop was held. And that week leading up to that Saturday where I live, which is about 70 miles from Mountain Home, excuse me, not Mountain Home, Mountain Rest, South Carolina, where the workshop was to be held, had a massive amount of rain. We had several inches. It rained pretty much every day but Friday that week, I believe. And it rained so much in my part of the state, at least, and on down to Columbia, where the DNR headquarters are, that we actually got an email a few days prior to the event letting us know that as of now, the class is still on, but that the water levels of the rivers were being monitored just to make sure that we'd be able to safely go fish after the workshop portion of the class. And not getting any more emails that week that thankfully meant that there were no changes with the workshop and it did appear to be scheduled as planned. And in that email, there was a reminder that no equipment would be provided for the workshop as far as the fishing aspect. 
Now, the Chattooga River Fly Shop was providing the equipment and materials for the fly tying portion of the class. But as far as the afternoon of fishing, if we wanted to fish, we had to bring whatever equipment we wanted to use with us. This was not a guided trip. It was just an afternoon of fishing where we could apply what we learned in the class to try and catch some Bartram's bass that afternoon in the Chattooga and Chalgo rivers. So on Friday before leaving, I went ahead and packed everything up. And this is the equipment that I took with me since I don't have a lot of fly fishing equipment. I am finding that I enjoy fly fishing the more I go, but I do it so infrequently that I just can't justify dropping hundreds of dollars on a reel and then hundreds more on a rod. Now, eventually, I can see myself getting to that point, but starting out, no, it's not happening. Uh, I also enjoy using... And have a preference to American-made equipment and products, which naturally this also increases the cost of buying those particular items. Usually it's worth it, but for me, being able to go in the mountains and trout fish one, maybe two times a year, it, it's not worth a thousand plus dollars right now. Hopefully at some point I will get more into it and justify to myself, be able to justify to myself dropping that kind of money on good quality equipment that will last me the rest of my life that I can pass down to my kids. But for now, I'm going with vintage stuff. And you can afford vintage American-made equipment. Now, it might not have all the bells and whistles. It might not have a high-end drag. In fact, mine doesn't have It's got the click drag, um, if you want to call it a drag. But the reel that I actually use right now that I have spooled up with Flyline is an old pre-World War II version of a Fluger sow trout. And... I have was technically panfish fly line, but I have this scientific angler's air cell panfish line that's orange. It is the weight forward five six floating. And for this class I had scientific angler four X tapered leader on it. And I was using an Eagle Claw nine foot five weight rod that's a four piece that I bought new the website i won't say which company it was that i bought it from but it had it listed as made in america and it was not over a hundred dollars so i immediately ordered it thinking it was made in america and nope made in china but either way it's not a terrible ride i don't know the difference personally because i haven't used a high-end ride yet once I get better with fly fishing, more proficient with it, I'm sure I'll be able to tell the difference. But right now, I can assure you that I probably could not tell the difference between this rod 
and one that cost $1,000 if I were to go use it. Maybe, but probably not. So the rest of the equipment that I had was, uh, oh, and that rod was actually a graphite rod. It was not fiberglass. It was graphite. And I also took an ultralight spinning combo with me with a couple of 316th ounce Al's original goldfish lures. Um, one of the things that I kind of want to do as far as the black bass slam is to attempt to catch and complete the slam using the same type of lure. Uh, now, one of the things after attending this class I want to do is complete the slam using only fly gear. But I also want to try and accomplish it using the Owl's Goldfish Lure and also MEP Spinners at some point in the future. Now, I know I'll probably end up using different sizes, but generally speaking, I would like to catch the fish using the same style of lure. And... I didn't really have a lot of flies. I know the research I'd done had told me a couple of different types of floaters to use, but I'm brand new to fly fishing, so I don't know what they're talking about. My thought was go to the class, listen to what they say. Whatever flies we tie, run in the fly shop on the way to the river and go ahead and buy some more and go with that, which I ended up, kind of doing that. I ended up buying more flies that were not intended for red-eye bass, but that I was thinking I might try to use some on some little lakes and, and ponds here where I'm at locally to try and catch some largemouth and, and maybe even go on up towards Jacassi and try and catch some small smallmouth with and also some uh, sunfish. But that's just because I ended up tying two different flies, and I figured the amount of time I was going to be out there, unless I just got them hung up in trees, I'd probably be all right just using those two flies. Um, but I did buy one or two other poppers that would be acceptable in terms of what you would expect to use when you're targeting Bartram's bass. Now, getting back to the workshop itself, the workshop was a joint venture between the South Carolina Department of Natural Resources Aquatic Education Section, the Native Fish Coalition, and the Chattooga River Fly Shop. The workshop was scheduled to be a full day of classroom-style learning, hands-on learning, specifically with the tying of the flies, and then applying what we'd learned that morning uh, that afternoon in various spots along the Chattooga and Chalga rivers. And we ended up sticking pretty much spot on with the agenda as far as timing goes. Now, we did end up going out and, and getting to the rivers to go fishing a little bit earlier than anticipated, which was nice because for the folks that, depending on how far they had to drive, it, it gave them more more time in the river. But the agenda and the scheduling for the day was outlined in this way. Uh, had the introductions and welcome, had an allotment of 15 minutes. 
then the presentation about fly fishing for Bartram's bass had about 45 minutes. Fly tying and the demonstration, that was given an hour and a half before a lunch break and breaking up to go fishing in the various rivers. And it was funny to note that they had to put at the bottom that cell phones often lose service in this part of the state. And I've been there many times since I lived that close to the mountains. I'm guessing that they put that for the folks that probably don't make it up to the mountains very often, uh, that live in the more populated areas who never lose service. But once I got up there, I had no service at all whatsoever. So if you're listening to this and you're not from that part of the country, that part of the state, and you don't travel there that often, but after listening to this, you think you might want to attend this workshop next year, go ahead and plan on not calling anybody and not receiving any calls and just being left completely alone in terms of the cell phone service. Now, if you have a different provider than me, uh, I guess you may or may not have some service, but I think the general consensus was that nobody there had phone service. Once we started, uh, at first, we were all provided a few publications, and those three publications were the pamphlet about the Black Bass Slam, which I've already referenced receiving last year, at the Bassmaster Classic Expo. We also got a DNR-published guide to South Carolina freshwater fish and a back issue of South Carolina wildlife, which was the September-October issue from 2022. The reason we got this magazine is because it actually had an article about Bartram's bass, which was written by uh, Will Menhiki which I apologize, Will, if I butchered your last name. I, I know the feeling with my last name. But Will is the South Carolina DNR's aquatic education coordinator. And he taught the class, taught the workshop, and actually was the main organizer of the workshop, I believe. If I'm wrong on that, let let me know and I'll I'll put a note in the little description section of this episode but he's also the chair for the South Carolina Native Fish Coalition but he wrote this article in South Carolina Wildlife Magazine late last year and it's a pretty good read and it covered essentially what was covered in the class now, there's a little bit more detail, but if you're just looking for a very basic synopsis primer, if you can get your hands on the September-October issue of South Carolina Wildlife from 2022, then you can read this article and kind of have an idea of basically what was covered during the fly fishing for Bartram's Bass workshop, the lecture or classroom portion, if you will. Once he went over the agenda with us and told us a little bit about the publications, he went ahead and 
went through his PowerPoint presentation, which at first he explained what exactly a red-eye bass is. And he also explained why we were seeing Bartrams in parentheses, which is because it is not an officially recognized species in and of itself yet. Uh, he went ahead and told us that the process has begun for it to be officially recognized as its own species, but technically, scientifically, right now, it is not. It is just a red-eye bass. But a red-eye bass is described as a stream-dwelling fish, and specifically the Bartram's bass is native only uh, to South Carolina and Georgia. But red-eye bass in general, the seven total species across the range are native only in three states. And that is South Carolina, Georgia, and Alabama. Now, these seven species come together to form what is considered the red-eye bass complex. And that complex can actually be broken down into two native ranges, which is the Mobile Basin, which contains five of those species, and the Atlantic Slope, which contains two of the species, including the Bartram's bass. But the seven species of red-eye bass are the Bartram's bass, which is what this workshop was focused on, the Altamaha bass, the Chattahoochee bass, Cahaba bass, Talapusa bass, Coosa bass, and Warrior bass. Now, an interesting thing that we learned in the class that actually caused me to add something to my outdoor bucket list is that there is a red-eye bass slam in which you catch all seven different species in a calendar year. And there's also a Alabama slam, or excuse me, it's a mobile slam, which is considered the five mobile basin species in a calendar year. Now, you can go on to Instagram if you have an account and do a quick search for red-eye bass fly fishing. That's actually run by an individual who has written a book on fly fishing for red-eye bass, and that book is appropriately titled Fly Fishing for Red-Eye Bass, An Adventure Across Southern Waters. And that book's written by Matthew Lewis, who actually runs the uh, Red-Eye Bass Fly Fishing social media account. And he has gotten with an artist who has made this really nice certificate that you can order if you complete either the Red-Eye Bass Slam or the Mobile Basin Slam. And they'll send you a certificate with your name on it. And the year that you completed whichever of the two slams. And there's images of that there on that Red-Eye Bass Fly Fishing Instagram account. Just look through the various posts. But 
there is a cost in order to obtain one, but they don't have any kind of vetting process for this it, anymore. It, it appears that they used to, but not anymore. It's more of an honor system type thing, which, you know, I, I don't know why you would want to display a certificate on your wall that you didn't earn. And I think that's kind of the general consensus also seems to be based on the description of one of the images on the Instagram account. But aside from that, I've got two new slams that I need to, when I say need, I want to try and accomplish in addition to the South Carolina Black Bass Slam. Hopefully I'll be able to, but if not in one year, then my goal is to at least catch all seven at some point in time, even if it's not in the same calendar year. Now, he then went into why there is an interest in fishing for red-eye bass. And the red-eye bass is one of only two native black bass in South Carolina. As I mentioned earlier, the largemouth is the other native species of black bass to South Carolina. And he mentioned that they're an incredible fight on lightweight fly tackle, and the majority of their diet consists of terrestrial insects, which means there's a good chance you're going to have a lot of topwater action, which I can attest to, and I'll go into that here shortly when I get into uh, describing how the fishing went that day. But another reason that it can become so addictive to target red-eye bass is because they live in uh, very, very pretty settings and small streams. And if you've ever targeted brook trout, then it's essentially the same settings, but it's a less picky eater. So there's a higher chance of you catching a Bartram's bass whenever you go fishing farm. They're also more of a warm weather fish. So once the waters warm up and the trout fishing isn't as good, you can still go fly fishing in some of the same waters that you typically trout fish. Just change up a little bit and you can target red eye bass and just catch a whole mess of them. Now, another thing about red eye bass is that they have never been stocked. And if you catch a red-eye bass, you know without a doubt that it is a wild fish that did not come from a hatchery. Whereas with your trout, it's hard to tell, depending on where exactly you catch it, whether or not it's a wild fish or one that's been stocked from a hatchery. Now, red-eye bass are found in the Savannah River drainage above the fall line. And I apologize if, if I get confusing any of you folks, especially if you're from Alabama, when I'm talking about the red-eye bass in this particular episode, I'm talking about the Bartrams. I'll try from this point forward to stick with Bartrams, but I'm actually looking through the a copy of the PowerPoint, and as I mentioned, 
because it's not officially been classified as its own species yet, we know how government entities can be. They have to be technical. I worked for one for 10 years. So they don't, there's little reference to Bartram's bass, which I understand from a scientific standpoint. Once it's officially designated as its own species, hopefully a lot of confusion will be cleared up and people can classify it as a Bartram's bass. But for now, they refer it to as a red-eye bass. So let me get back from chasing that rabbit. The Bartram's bass is found in the Savannah River drainage above the fall line, which a fall line is a geological feature where the Piedmont meets the coastal plain. And on our website, at some point in the hopefully near future, there will be a page dedicated to definitions, specifically slang. There'll be a, mostly slang, but there will be some other non-slang terms that are commonly heard in various conversations about the outdoors. That way, if you hear us on any of the podcasts reference something and you're not sure what it means, and it's a technical term or a slang term in regard to the topic we're covering, then check out that page on fieldquiveroutdoors.com. And if it's not included in the list of terms, shoot me an email or put a comment on that episode, and I will go ahead and work on getting that particular term included because if you're not sure what it means, you're probably not the only one. But another key thing that they reference in terms of where to find Bartram's bass is look for water along the Savannah River from North Augusta up to the Chattooga River, specifically focusing on main stems, tributaries, and feeder streams. He mentioned that one of the best ways to find Bartram's bass is to blue line, which if you're a trout fisher, you already know what that is. You find a map, look at it, and you find these little small blue lines, which are the streams that feed these main river systems. And as long as you're above the fall line and you're in part of the Savannah River drainage, then there's a good chance that you'll be able to find Bartrams. Basically think if it's somewhere that you could potentially find trout or where you would go to seek trout, then there's also a high likelihood that Bartrams can be found there as well. Now, red-eye Bartram's bass can be found a couple of other places in South Carolina. And these include the Saluda, Broad, Ennery, and Tiger Rivers. And this actually brings up the world record red-eye bass, which was, I should have written this down, I believe over five pounds. But there's a picture of it. And I think the general consensus of the class on just looking at this picture is that this is not a 
red-eye bass in terms of what we now define as red-eye bass. Uh, some red-eye bass have historically, the term anyway, red-eye bass, has historically been given to shoal bass. And some people just not knowing what they are, if it's got a red eye, they call it a red-eye bass. But the big argument is that they believe that this world record that was caught on Lake Jacassi was most likely a hybrid of a red-eye with a spotted bass just because of its sheer size. And the reason they say that is because your Bartram's bass, what's considered a trophy fish, is 12 inches or larger. And the growth rate is about an inch a year, is what he said, give or take. So you can expect a 10-inch bass, 10-inch Bartram's bass, is about 10 years old, give or take. As far as the gear that he went into, he recommended an 8- or 9-foot, 3- to 5-weight rod as being the best option. And you would want to use floating line with 3- or 4-X leaders. And these are the flies that he recommended. The fly size is between 6 and 10. And topwater flies such as poppers and foam terrestrials, which is what the Sam's One Bug is. And that is the type of fly that they taught us how, how to make in the workshop. In terms of subsurface lures, the recommendation was woolly boogers, crayfish, or baitfish patterns. He kept referencing back to the crayfish as far as that being a rather popular choice in terms of targeting Bartram's bass. He then went into a little bit more about the black bass slam that the DNR host. This is a pretty cool thing. I've reached out and hopefully we can have either Will or someone else with DNR to come on at some point and discuss more about the history of the Black Bass Slam. If not, then I work on putting together uh, just a brief show specifically about South Carolina's Black Bass Slam. For today, however, I'll just mention that the Black Bass Slam is something that was created a few years ago in order to recognize folks who catch a red eye, smallmouth, largemouth, and spotted bass in a single year. And you submit your information with a picture of you with each fish from that year to uh, an email, which is scbassslam at dnr.sc.gov. I'll put uh, that in the description of this podcast. If you happen to live in South Carolina and want to complete this challenge, just shoot them an email. Also, go to the DNR Aquatic Education website, and you can find out more information there about the Black Bass Slam specifically. But if you're able to accomplish this feat, then you'll get a certificate, patch, and a unique sticker for each bass. And it is my understanding that each year the patch and stickers, the design is unique for each year. 
So that makes it worth trying to complete every year. Hopefully, uh, this is something that the DNR continues and it grows annually and can expand into more recognition challenges, if you will, that, that are hosted by DNR to get more folks outdoors and targeting new species. But if not, I, I'm perfectly content trying to do the black bass slam every year. It gives me an excuse to go fishing in the mountains a couple times a year. So after mentioning the slam, we discussed a little bit about whether or not the Bartram's basses threatened. And according to the 2015 DNR SWAP, which stands for State Wildlife Action Plan, the Bartram's bass is a species of concern. And their two biggest threats right now, uh, the single biggest is hybridization from the illegally introduced spotted bass, but the other concern is habitat loss. Now, as far as ways to help, naturally, don't move fish from one body of water to another. Uh, understand the significance of having native fish. And another option is to join and support the Native Fish Coalition, which is an entity that is relatively new. I'm still working on researching it, but their mission is to protect, preserve, and restore native fish populations through stewardship of the fish and their habitats. And from what I've been finding, it, it seems like a, a pretty good organization. And we'll look at having a representative from them on here at some point to talk more about Native Fish Coalition and answer any questions ab about their programs and just dive more into how they are focused on achieving their mission. But as I mentioned, Will is actually the chair for the Native Fish Coalition and the Native Fish Coalition being one of the three entities that put on this program, their co-chair is actually who led the fly tying aspect of the workshop, which I'll go ahead and get into now. So Scott Keener is the co-chair for the South Carolina Native Fish Coalition, and he is a fly tire and he actually mentioned that this was his first time I guess leading would be the best word for it but leading and instructing a tie flying class and the fly that he chose was one called the Sam's One Bug which is after leaving the class and looking into it, a very popular fly, which it actually has its own Instagram account, which I would recommend you looking into and following. We're actually going to have the son of the gentleman who uh, invented 
the Sam's One Bug on as a guest in the future. We're still working on getting a date hammered out for that interview, but we're looking forward to that. And for these, we had three options that we would be able to tie. The little packets that were provided to us by the Chattooga River Fly Shop contained enough material to tie two flies. And depending on which bag you got, you would be able to tie two of three colors. And there was green, yellow, and blue. I ended up with yellow and blue. And they're actually a very simple fly to tie, thankfully, because I had no experience going into this with tying flies. And I will say that Scott did an outstanding job, especially for it being his first time leading a tying class. Now, these flies uh, were tied with size 8 hooks, and for it being my first ever attempt at tying a fly, it is definitely not the prettiest. If you go on our social media account, specifically the Instagram, I will be... Uh, putting up along with the release of this episode pictures of the flies that I tied. And they're not pretty, but they were pretty enough to catch fish with. And the process of making them was addictive enough that I do want to go ahead and look into getting a beginner's fly tying kit which I've actually spoken with uh, Byron at the Chattooga River Fly Shop, and hopefully we're going to be able to work something out where once I am ready to go ahead and drop that money on what's needed to create a beginner's fly tying kit, we're going to link up and do a special episode about how to select uh, materials and tools to put together a beginner's fly tying kit. But that's neither here nor there. We'll hopefully be able to do that in a future episode later this year. But for the here and now, the hooks that were used are a size 8 hook. And the materials that we used were pretty basic. They consisted of the hook, which was, as I mentioned, a size 8, thread, the main body was a small piece of foam which had been cut off at an angle, at a 45-degree angle. The tail uh, consisted of marabou, two different colors, and the legs were a rubber leg material. We were given a demonstration of how to fly the ties and then we had enough time, as I mentioned, to go ahead and tie two flies apiece. Once we finished tying our flies, uh, everybody went ahead and broke for lunch, and we were divvied up before we broke for lunch into different groups to go out with the guides from the Chattooga River Fly Shop, and this was not a guided trip, so don't sign up for next year's course thinking that you'll get to go on a free guided trip to try and catch some red-eye bass. That is not the case. Everybody was just there to have a day fishing, including the guides. Now, 
I was fortunate enough to uh, go with a couple of guys, including Byron. And the spot we went to, they did give us a, a few pointers once we got there, which these included to just let the fly dead drift and also to focus on areas behind rocks. That way, it's it's the dead spaces, if you will, of the current where the current's not flowing fast. It, it's more of a pool. And actually, the first hit that I had was actually in one of these pools behind a rock. And I was unable to set the hook on that one. But another thing that they mentioned, which was beneficial because had I not been told this, I probably would have stayed at that same exact pool and ended up not catching anything. But they said if you have a miss, go ahead and pack it up and move to another spot because you won't have any more strikes in that same location if, if you miss a fish. One other thing that they mentioned to us, because where we ended up going on the Chattooga River was a popular put-in for rafting companies. And we actually just so happened to arrive at the same time as a busload of rafters was pulling up, which was fine. We were told that it's not a big deal. The fish are actually used to the rafters and just let them go on by and just go back to fishing as normal. And it typically would not affect the fish ability of the area in terms of the, the rafters going through. Now, if they were out of the raft swimming or anything like that, that would be another story. But as far as rafters, canoers, kayakers just floating through, and even tubers, shouldn't be much of an issue in terms of affecting our ability to catch fish. So once we had these pointers, as I mentioned, uh, we were fishing uh, in the Chattooga, and I moved upstream while the other folks I were with kind of spread out more downstream. And I ended up finding one spot, like I mentioned, with a, with a pool behind a rock. I had some fast-flowing movement around either side of, of the rock. It was a pretty, pretty good size uh, rock. And I was casting into it, letting it uh, do a dead drift. And I had a strike, but I wasn't able to get the hook set. So I cast a few more times and then remembered what they told us about if we had a miss, go ahead and pack it up and move somewhere else. So I did just that. Uh, moved on up the river a little piece and found a shady spot with fairly slow moving water along the bank that had uh, a dead, looked like a, a dead cedar tree that had fallen over into the river and a good bit of shade just below it. And uh, it, it appeared to be a reasonably deep pool. So I cast just below downstream of the uh, dead tree and let it dead drift. And it, it drifted maybe 15, 20 feet, and it had a hit. And I was able to set the hook on this one and get it reeled in, and it was a Bartram's bass. It was fairly small. It was maybe six inches in size. Uh, fairly pretty in color, but I was extremely excited at the fact that I had not only caught uh, Bartram's, but the fact that I was now able to check off 
three things on my outdoor bucket list. One, I had caught a fish fly fishing. Two, I had caught a Bartram's bass. And three, I had caught a Bartram's bass on a fly, which I myself had tied. So I was pretty excited about that. Went ahead and uh, de-hooked that Bartram's and, and released it and decided to go ahead and try my hand at casting in the same spot a few more times. Well, my very next cast was about the same spot. It floated about the same amount and almost the exact same spot that the first fish had hit. I had another strike and the fish, it was just fun to watch the fight. It, uh, it kept jumping and just that initial, uh, top water strike was just gorgeous to watch but once I got this particular fish brought in it was a little over 10 inches it was I believe about a 10 and a quarter inch in length when I measured it uh, because one of the places I had read said that anything over uh, 10 inches is considered a trophy for a Bartram's bass or a red-eye bass. Um, I did end up getting clarification on that, though. A true trophy is considered 12-inch or larger, but an adult is typically anything 8, 9 inches and up. Now, this fish, the coloration on it, I found to be gorgeous. Uh, I'll, as with the flies, have a picture on the Instagram account uh, of this particular fish that I was able to catch and got several photographs of it. And once it was released, I decided I'd go ahead and try my hand with the uh, spinning tackle that I brought with me. I just made a couple of casts with it uh, and decided to go back to trying the flies for a few more minutes before I packed up and headed back to the car to come home since it was getting kind of late in the day. And I ended up not having any more hits or and catches that day, but just the fact that it was my first go at targeting Bartrams with so many things which were new to me, I, I was just stoked that I was able to be successful, especially to catch two that close together but I'm definitely addicted to it now I can understand why all of the uh, interviews that I've listened to on other podcasts with folks who uh, focus almost solely on fishing for red-eye bass uh, are so into it but I'm definitely going to be looking into ordering the book that was mentioned to us in the class that Matthew Lewis wrote about fly fishing for red-eye bass. And amazingly, somehow or other, over the last year of me researching into Bartram's bass and red-eye bass, not once did that book ever pop up. Since that class, anytime I do a Google search now for Bartram's bass or red-eye bass, that book is one of the first links that pops up in the search results. Now, that's pretty much the gist of how the workshop went that day. And personally, I know that I'm going to keep an eye out for the Eventbrite page to open up registration for next year's event. It was 
I don't really know that I want to use the term simple, but it was not so over the top that I don't think my now eight-year-old, who will be nine next year, wouldn't be able to attend and understand what's being taught. And I think he wouldn't have any issues tying the flies. The only thing he might have issue with is the actual use of a fly rod. But, hey, I've got a year to get him there because, if nothing else, maybe I'll at least take him and we can just attend the workshop portion and let him tie his own fly. And maybe that'll spur the interest in him learning the fly fishing and how to cast a fly rod without uh, being as concerned with the frustration that could come with it with learning how to do it. But I would say older kids, uh, teens definitely, uh, this class is absolutely appropriate for. Now, the only reason I'm saying my now eight, who will next year be nine, is because he has such an interest in fishing. Now, if he were not so interested in fishing and learning about fishing, then I would not take him. But he would probably sit there and listen and find the topics and discussion of interest enough that he wouldn't get bored with it. But I would most definitely recommend this workshop to anyone who is wanting to learn more about Bartram's bass and how to fish for Bartram's bass. And as I mentioned, again, I most definitely, if I am able, intend to go next year. Now, one of the things that I didn't mention that I do want to go ahead and throw out there is if you're looking at targeting the red eye, specifically the Bartram's bass, and you weren't able to attend the workshop and you may or may not be able to attend the workshop in the future and you just don't want to put a lot of time to researching and dedicate a lot of time to investigating how to best target a Bartram's bass, I would say reach out to the the folks at the Chattooga River Fly Shop. They are one of only a few fly shops who actually offer guide services specifically to target red-eye bass. There are a couple of others. I don't remember what they were. They were not in South Carolina, though. But they, they're good folks. Uh, as I mentioned, I believe all of the guides were there. They were all very informative, all very outgoing, uh, all very friendly. Um, I, I may actually even look into doing a guide myself with them at some point. Now, I'm not getting any kind of kickbacks to recommend them by any means. Don't take that the wrong way. But just from my experience with them and the fact that they were willing to support this workshop in the way that they did and the friendliness that they had and the wealth of knowledge they seemed to have that they also shared with me when I stopped by the shop between the classroom portion of the workshop and the fishing portion uh, when I bought some flies and a map of the Chattooga River. They, they, these are folks that I would definitely give my money to and intend to give my money to in the future and would suggest you guys looking into also if you are particularly interested in targeting Bartram's bass 
in upstate South Carolina. And to wrap up this week's episode, I want to go ahead and end with the Think About It segment, which the Think About It segment is going to be just a thought-provoking question in which the intent is to give you something to think about. Now, before I get into this week's Think About It, I just want to go ahead and ask you again to consider liking the podcast, following the podcast, subscribing to the podcast, and getting notifications of when new episodes are released. Next week's episode is one that I'm pretty excited about. I'll be discussing the gospel fly, which next week will be all things gospel fly. But if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it with a friend and leave us a review. If you have any ideas about future topics you'd like to hear, go ahead and shoot me an email. Uh, send me a message in the description box. Uh, my email is jody at fieldquiveroutdoors.com. Or you can just go to fieldquiveroutdoors.com and there's a contact us box. You can just fill that out and send me any suggestions or recommendations you might have. Anything that I've said you disagree with or agree with, let me know. I have thick skin. Remember, I was a cop for 10 years. You're not going to hurt my feelings. But now that that's out of the way, this week's Think About It question is serious. And I'm going to literally end this episode with the question and I want you to take some time if need be to very seriously think about it and if you can't give an answer of yes to this question confidently and with only certainty then I would encourage you to reach out to a pastor our friend who is strong in their Christian beliefs and faith. But the question for this week is, if you were to die right here, right now, can you say with all confidence and certainty that you would spend eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ. Think about it. And if you need to, find somebody to talk to.